Well, that was really quiet. Good morning. <laughs> well, I thought I'd set the record straight. Just in case any of you might have very high expectations of me, please don't, but have very high expectations of God, okay? <laughs> but before um, I begin, I would just like to pray. Yeah, Heavenly Father, thank you that we can meet in this place today as one family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, yes, we pray that whatever week we may have had, whether it's been a good week or a pretty lousy week, that actually we put everything aside and that our hearts are open to you, that they really are open wide to receiving your message this morning. And we pray that transformation takes place within each one of us. For we are not content to be as we are because we seek to be more like you, Jesus. So come, Holy Spirit, guide us and lead us. Amen. Amen. Are you sitting comfortably? Then please watch. Oh, good start. <laughs> Original Italian job, yeah. Second one's not so good. What year was it filmed? Any guesses? Somebody have a guess. Well done. Spot on. 1969. Correct. So this film was actually about a British gang going out to Italy, to Turin, to 
do an elaborate robbery um, to actually steal around $4 million worth of gold bullion. But where was that particular scene that you just saw in the sewers? Where was that filmed? Who's, who said that? Correct, well done. Stoke Aldermore, to be precise, in Coventry. The sewers were newly built, uh, linking Birmingham to Coventry. And actually, two years later, when I was four years old, above ground, there was another mission taking place in Coventry. You see, my nan had this cat who I absolutely adored. It was one of those sort of soppy cats, you know, that would just do anything. You know, you could dress it up and shove it in the pram, and it was okay, or... It might have been sort of suffering from fear, maybe, but it just stayed in the pram all day. And I had a mission, quite an elaborate mission, really, for a four-year-old. And I carried out my mission all on my own, armed with a plastic bag. That's all I had. The plan was to go and steal the cat from my nan's house in the hope that nobody would recognize it was gone. So I walked for miles and miles through the streets of Coventry without my parents knowing, all on my own, crossing major roads, and no doubt dodging the sort of ferocious dog, because you know, quite a few dogs were hanging around in the area at the time, because it was that sort of place that I lived in. And somehow I managed to arrive at my nan's house. And I was thinking how puzzling it was that latches were so high up on gates. And I realized why. It's to keep children in gardens, but I managed to get out of gardens. But I managed to get into my grand's garden and call this cat. Now, this cat dutifully came forward, you know, because it was soppy and that. And so I, I sort of grabbed hold of it and tried to stuff it in this plastic bag. Now, if there are any children here, please don't do this, because... Actually, cats really do not like going into plastic bags. And the cat started squirming and hissing at me, which I didn't know cats actually did. And that really frightened me, thinking I'm not so keen on this cat after all. And my nan called me, asking me what was I doing, because she could hear this commotion outside. So basically, my mission was busted at that point. I didn't get a chance to put the cat in the bag and leave unnoticed. But I had a mission, and I was only four. And of course, it was a really self-serving mission. But I never thought much about that particular story until I became a parent and sort of realized the dangers that I could have been under as a four-year-old on my own in the streets of Coventry. I wonder, did I feel any fear as I carried out this particular mission? Yeah, I sampled fear when you know, the cat was scratching me and my nan caught me. That was fear. But along the way, I was just on a mission to get that cat. And so with these men in that film, the Italian job, they had a mission, self-serving, of course. But those, both these um, missions required a dream, a plan, and a commitment, and an action. But thankfully, those days when we stealing cats are over. But even though I'm no longer a child, I know now that I am a child of God. And I had a plan and a purpose in life because of Christ. And so do you. Please watch the next clip.
God is on a mission. God is missional. God became man. He sent Jesus to live among us. Jesus got directly involved with people in their brokenness. He got stuck in. He went into the messy places and he still does today because the Holy Spirit lives in his followers. I know we talk of messy church for the children, but I seriously think that church should just get messy, get right into the mess of this world, not to be afraid of getting in there and putting into action the gospel news, to be the salt and light, mirror exactly what Christ did. Let's read what Matthew has to say about this salt and light. Please turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. And the, weird, the words should actually appear on the screen behind me. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. It is a statement. You not all, you know, possibly or, or maybe the salt of the earth, but a definite you are the salt of the earth. It is defining you if you are a follower of Christ, or it should be a characteristic of you if you are following him. We know that salt has many qualities. We know it purifies, it preserves, and it enhances the flavor of food, and it was actually used to improve soil condition. Salt acts from within. It gets right into the place where you want it to work. So as disciples, we are to be salt in this world, to influence society, get involved and preserve what is good. In Leviticus, the sacrificial offerings were seasoned with salt as a reminder of the people's covenant with God. Salt also symbolizes God acts activity in a person's life because it penetrates, preserves, and aids in healing. Even in Arab countries, they seal an agreement with the gift of salt to show strength and permanence of a contract. But this passage warns that we can lose that saltiness. We can become complacent and even abandon the gospel. And we don't feel the need to be out in the world getting messy. We are clearly called to be salt of the earth. 
we may have become contaminated by other substances, which cause us to lose our strength, our saltiness, even our purpose. And we need to remind ourselves daily that we are God's covenant people who should actively be helping to preserve, preserve, I can't remember, say pers- preserve and purify the world, seasoning the world with grace and compassion. The doctrine of the gospel is as salt. It is penetrating, powerful. It reaches the heart. It is cleansing and preserves us from decay. We are the light of the world. Another clear statement of who we are or who we should be when we follow Christ. For it is the light of Christ that is reflected in us. Thessalonians 5 says, You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Notice in this passage how the light is elevated onto a stand to illuminate the room for all those to see. The light is a guide, just as we are to guide those who are lost in the dark. The light is visible. It is an outward sign of what is in us, Christ. We don't hide it. We lift it up high so that the light spreads. There is no such thing as secret discipleship. No hiding it away. A city on a hill just cannot be hidden. It is really important, though, to to remember that the good deeds are to be seen, just like the light is to be visible. But those who see the deeds must know the source of it, that it comes from our Heavenly Father. He is the source of all that is good, and that he is the one to be praised, and not us. We need to ensure that whatever we do clearly glorifies the Father, for it is he who we serve and honour. And we are called to be lights to all nations, not just in foreign lands, but in a land that may be foreign to us in another sense, sort of being in the world, but not of it. And I've been thinking a lot lately of like the workplace, generally, for, for people, thinking about what a great mission ground that is. The harvest is there for the taking. The harvest is plentiful, but there are few workers in the workplace. Many years ago, before I became a follower of Christ, I used to work for a large company that used to work with the RAF and MOD. And um, our particular department had many engineers. But about six of these engineers would meet once a week in the office next to mine. And they were Christians. They wanted to pray for everybody in that department. To be honest, see, they puzzled me. I was a little bit intrigued about them. And also thinking, well, what good is that? I was very cynical, very suspicious. I would spend quite a lot of time with them talking about anything other than religion. I just didn't want to go there, not interested. But still they intrigued me. And I knew they were praying for me, which really frustrated me. 
It's the one thing I didn't have any control over. They were still going to pray for me whether I liked it or not. I'm so grateful they did. I felt that they were a great testimony of faithfulness and love. Some years later, I started another job elsewhere, and lo and behold, there was somebody there talking about this man, Jesus, again. I resisted even more, but I knew that seeds were being sown and that barriers were breaking down within me. These work colleagues were clearly instrumental in introducing me to Christ, how effective they were in that workplace. They were prime examples of salt and light. See, God is interested in every part of our lives. And we need to be salt in the workplace, in the playground, in the pub, in the park, in the school, wherever we are, we need to be that salt and light. And can I encourage you to discover what your mission ground is and to actually live that out, live out the gospel where you find God taking you. Look for every opportunity that God gives you to speak of the good news. You may be the only Bible that people will read. And what about the neighbours? People that we perhaps sort of nod hello to, and that's it, we don't even bother asking how they are. Maybe your mission is to get to know your neighbour better and be the neighbour from heaven. You have to think that one through. In Ezekiel 34, we read that the shepherds of Israel had long neglected the flock that was entrusted to them by God. It depicts sheep as being uncared for, maimed, and neglected. Nobody seemed to care. And the chapter goes on to say that the Lord himself would seek out his sheep to care for them and bring them back. He himself would shepherd the flock. And the great conviction of Matthew's gospel is that the shepherd of Israel has come. What God was planning has come to pass through the action of Jesus. And he was compassionate towards the crowd because he saw them harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. He comes as a shepherd, but he also sends his disciples to join in his work and continue it. We need to continue with this same mission. So we need to understand that it's not the church of God that has a mission in the world, but the God of mission who has a church in the world. God is missional. We need to reflect this too in our daily lives. Mission can also be shared in Luke 10, Jesus sent out 72 messengers to proclaim the gospel to be the salt and light. They later return joyous. I read an article in the Daily Telegraph oh, about two or three weeks ago, it was. And it says, uh, it was reported that giving a gift to someone else gives you happiness. 235,000 people globally were analyzed, and the report produced said, whether wealthy or poor, those who gave gifts to others are happier than when they were treated themselves. From poor Ugandans to rich Canadians, those who treated friends and family experienced a warm glow. 
even factors such as income, social support, perceived freedom, and national corruption did not alter the positive feelings. To conclude, the study showed that helping others is deeply ingrained in human nature. It is within us to give and what joy that brings us, regardless of our circumstances, it seems. We have something to give that brings great joy to all. That is telling others of the great gift of salvation because Jesus Christ died for our sins and that we are redeemed because of his great sacrificial love. Yes, I am aware that many of us will hold back on reaching out and doing the mission work that we are all called to do, to being the salt and light wherever we go. Fear is a factor, afraid to look foolish, even our pride gets in our way. We may be too busy filling our lives with stuff, but I am so grateful that my work colleagues were not too busy for me. Whilst I was contemplating and why do we hold back, I was curiously reminded of a song that was around in 1984, a staggering 29 years ago. It's called Such a Shame by a band called Talk Talk, and that's not the broadband provider. Just take a look at this clip. videos like that anymore, do they? <laughs> Just as well. The lyrics are really unusual, and I didn't understand them, like most songs from the 80s didn't seem to have any meaning, but this one did actually, when I delved into it to find out what did it mean. Lyrics such as, number me with rage, the dice decide my fate, and that's a shame. In his trembling hands, my faith tells me to react, I don't care. Maybe it's unkind that I should change. It's a shame. The song is actually about a man called Luke Reinhardt. And he wrote a book called The Dice Man. And he also wrote the book based on his own experiences of using dice to make decisions whilst he was studying psychology. 
The main character of the book uses the role of a die to determine his daily actions to add a bit of measure as well to, to his uncertainty, to his otherwise mundane life. So, for example, if he rolled the die um, and it landed on number one, and number one represented anger, then he would live the whole of his day in anger. And say number two, who, you know, it landed on two, two represented shame. So he would live the whole of the day feeling shame. And believe it or not, there are actually people that follow Luke Reinhardt. They do this every day. As soon as they get up, they roll the die to see how they're going to behave that day. And as I say, I just thought it was really odd and bizarre that people should do that. But then I started thinking, actually, don't we seem to do that to some degree in our own lives? So have we allowed circumstances to dictate to us how we will live that day and perhaps for the rest of our lives. <coughs> it's the same sort of approach to that throne of die to determine how to live. Have we chosen not to tell our work colleagues or our neighbours or friends about Christ because we have chosen to throw the die that lands on apathy and passiveness? <coughs> Daily, we need to seek God's will. We need to remind ourselves what Christ has done for us. We are blessed abundantly, and we need to be in this world as salt and light, and choose to live a daily life that permanently falls on number one, Jesus Christ. We follow Christ, and we take Christ with us into the dark places, into the world which seems to live a life by the throw of the die, that brings destruction, death, sadness, and shame. And I want to share with you three encouraging stories of people who are being the salt and light today in this world, but in very different ways. First is a story of about two 19-year-old boys that we know. One's been a follower of Christ for many years and quite deep in his walk. And the other lad, he's, he's probably been a Christian now for about six or seven months. And they were sharing with me how they were having this sleepover, which is a bit of a paradox, really, for generally no sleep is involved in the sleepover. But they were saying that they were praying. It was about two or three o'clock in the morning they were praying. And they sensed that Christ was calling them to write some pieces of paper, Jesus loves you. This they did, and then they discovered that Christ was actually calling them to go out into the neighborhood and post these slips through the letterboxes. When they were telling me this, I was sort of giggling inside, just imagine them going around with their hoodies up at two or three in the morning, delivering these sort of little slips of paper as they were sneaking up at the garden pathway, setting off security lights and dogs and whatever. And just imagining if the police came along and saying, hello, hello, what have we got here? You know, and all they've got was slips of paper saying, Jesus loves you, not a swag bag or a crowbar on them. And it just made me laugh. But then I thought, wow, how fantastic is that, that these young men were just, yeah, going by what God was asking them to do. They didn't have any fear, not as far as I know, but they were up for it and they were going out there. But who knows what happened as a consequence to their actions? Just imagine somebody shuffling up to their 
mat in front of their door the next morning, seeing the truth that's written on that piece of paper. You do not know what that did at that precise moment in time. And these boys don't even know what the fruits are of those particular labors. And they're not really bothered because they know that it's all in God's hands. They were just being obedient. They were being salt and light. Another example is a charity called the Crisis Centre Ministries, which is based in Bristol. And part of my training required myself and a few fellow students to go to this homeless centre in a very deprived area of Bristol called Easton. This place serves thousands of hot meals, free hot meals to the homeless every year and helps hundreds of people into emergency care and support. And many women are homeless. And there is even an 86-year-old woman who is, just has no home and uses this particular hostel. And they do take great care of her. The place is incredible. The manager of the centre, Alan Goddard, shared his testimony, which was incredibly moving and extremely powerful. And incidentally, he is the next men's speaker uh, on the 18th of May. Um, please do go to that because it is an amazing testimony of what God is doing in that place. Alan said that the aim of the centre is to bring God's grace and healing love to people with life-disrupting life problems. And it was really clear that the people who worked there were totally committed to bringing God's grace and love as they walked through the door. The workers not only lived out the gospel, but there were references everywhere to Jesus Christ on the walls, just saturated, and it was just a wonderful place to be. There was real peace and calm and a real presence of Jesus there. And the center totally relies on the support of others who share the same vision and ethos as theirs. It will not compromise, and it relies upon God to provide, and God is truly providing. In fact, the centre is hoping to increase its services to others because God has been so faithful. Alan also shared how the centre is given donations from other supermarkets, you know, sort of food coming towards the end of its sell-by date. But he did make me laugh because they said they often get lobster, <laughs> sea bass, venison, monkfish. And I just imagine the scene, you know, just... Great feast there with all this luxurious food. But then it reminded me of that invitation to sit at the table of the great feast, as told in Luke 14, where invitations were given to sit at the banquet, but many turned down the offer, for it was inconvenient. Yet when the invitation was given to those who were broken, to those on the streets, the invitation was fully accepted. The clients who use the services of the Crisis Ministry Centre know it's a Christian centre. but They come and sit around the table to eat what the good Lord has provided. They gratefully accept it and accept God's grace. The centre's mission is to bring God's grace and healing, love to people with life-disrupting problems, and it's these clearly visible and tangible. And he's truly salt and light in a very broken community. This young man, Josh King, he says he's an amateur photographer and became interested in homelessness 
after speaking to a man busking, can't think of the word, busking in Stratford-upon-Avon five years ago. One of the homeless men he met said he had suffered from anxiety and depression, but did not have a support network. Josh shared that he also suffered from depression, but he had a family to support him. He saw how he was being cared for, but the homeless man was not. Another homeless person said homelessness could happen to anyone, literally overnight. These are real people in real need. And I feel Josh captivated their story and need in each photo. There's a real need right on our doorstep for each of these men living on the streets in Stratford, just 12 miles away. The question is, what surprised you more? The fact that the scene from the Italian job was filmed in Coventry, 30 miles away, or the fact that we have these broken men, homeless on the streets, just 12 miles away in Stratford. This young man, Josh, decided to photograph the faces of men he felt he related to through his own experience of depression. He wanted to highlight to people that this could happen to anyone. And he had compassion. He formed relationships with them. From one heart to another heart, recognizing the same need but different circumstances. Josh felt he could highlight the issues. He became, if you like, a voice for the voiceless. Could you be a voice for the voiceless? Another example of being salt and light in the community, reaching out to others and seeing the need. Many people are being beacons of light in dark places, but I suspect that many have hidden that light. But that light is still somehow flickering away inside them. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit fans that small flame into an inferno so that people see how glorious our Heavenly Father is and that every knee will bow in worship and adoration. I joked earlier about being a learner, but we are all learners. None of us really know how life works, really. Some of you might be blessed with a storehouse of great knowledge in the Grey South, and some of you may have been to the University of Life and gained a well-earned PhD. But whatever our experience, for our knowledge, we are all learners, regardless of age, status, background. But the great news is that we all have a great teacher, Jesus. Each time we step out in faith and reach, reach to the lost, we are learning, learning more about Christ. And as a consequence, we ourselves are being transformed through this learning. We will grow in maturity with Christ. But do you feel stagnant in your walk? you are treading the same old path, not seeing new vistas. Perhaps it's time to ask God for a new vision, a mission that he wants to take you on. Have you lost your saltiness or hidden your light? I was reminded that in last week's service, Malcolm shared that Jesus has set us free to live a free life. The ransom has been paid be a messenger of this freedom to others who are enslaved in the darkness. Be encouraged too, for God is at work. Sometimes I get frustrated when I hear people say, we don't see miracles happening here, but there are miracles. To see young people say no to the temptations of the world, 
which they are you know, bombarded with every day. And then to say yes to Jesus, I believe, is a miracle. It's a miracle that I witnessed prisoners meeting up in their cells, holding hands and praying for that community, for the prison officers and prisoners, when they know that they will be persecuted. But they will still do it. That's a miracle. We just need to ask for eyes to see God's fingerprints, to see where he is working and where he wants us to go. The issue is that we, we need more workers and that we need to up our game in this spiritual battle. We need to be careful that we don't become negative and begin to expect nothing. Well, that's what we'll get, nothing. We also need to be careful that our lives do not look like a rope of sand where individual grains when put together look like it's something, but it has no strength. You are not engaging with one another and have no impact or influence. Just like salt losing its qualities and purpose. Do you want revival? Well, what will it take for it to happen? I'm sure God is ready for it, but it will take you and it will take me to be fellow co-workers with Christ. We have to make sure we don't live in a bubble and become unaware of what is happening right on our doorstep. If we are stuck in that bubble, then we need to burst it with the word of God, for he is alive and active. The only limit is in us. Our asking, our thinking, our praying are too small. Our expectations are too limited. I will end with a story about a lady I met a few months ago. She had a huge impact upon me. You see, this lady is called Natalie, and she used to work as a prostitute in the streets in Bristol. She shared how she was sexually abused at the age of 13. As you can imagine, this completely devastated her. She became severely depressed. She had no one to talk to. She turned to drugs to numb the pain of it all. But that didn't work. It just made things worse. She became a drug addict. She didn't have to fund this addiction. And the only thing she had to sell was her body. She shared that 75% of women in prostitution became involved when they were children. 70% spent time in care, and 45% report experiencing sexual abuse during their childhoods. She's such a beautiful lady. It was clear that she had suffered greatly. You could almost see the fractures, in a sense. But you knew that she was being held together by God's love and grace. She explained how she had been saved because a group of people who were followers of Christ trekked the streets of Bristol every night in all sorts of weathers to reach out to these ladies. They, they even had a vehicle that they converted to provide a warm, safe place to go and sit and receive care, whether it was practical medical care or you know, being given hot food or water and stuff like that, just to, to really show that they were being loved. 
She came to know Christ because of that love. This is about being salt and light in a very dark place. When Natalie talked, I was so mindful of the passage by Isaiah 61. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. She tried to convey to us how it felt to be at such a low point in her life, and she asked for a volunteer to sit on a chair. And that each time a negative comment was said, one of us had to place this really heavy blanket on top of that person. So sort of negativeness like, you are worthless, you are scum. So they're the feelings that she actually felt, because that's what the world told her because of her profession and what had happened. The volunteer sat there, and there must have been at least 10 heavy blankets on top of him. Then she would say positive things, like, you're a child of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Each time a positive thing was said, a blanket was lifted off. The volunteer was asked, what did that experience feel like? He said that whilst under the blankets, he felt the weight he was suffocating, it was dark, it was isolating, and in fact frightening. For he could hear voices but felt that no one heard him or saw him. But he said that as each blanket was being lifted off, he could feel the lightness, the fresh air filling his lungs. He could breathe. He was free. He saw light and was relieved. He felt he could be seen and be heard. So a small group of people were reflecting the love of Christ and were supporting the ladies. Many of the ladies exited this profession when they began to discover who they were really meant to be because the truth was being spoken into their lives by these followers of Christ. They now wear garments of praise, a crown of beauty, and are anointed with the oil of joy. Punters may still be drawn to the red light district of Bristol, but God is on the move. And his beacons of light are also on the streets of Bristol, drawing in the broken and showing them the love, grace, and compassion that comes from Christ. He is alive. Each time a person leaves that profession, it is a miracle. D.L. Moody said, a good many are kept out of the service of Christ, deprived of the luxury of working for God, because they are trying to do some great thing. Let us be willing to do little things. Little things can change somebody's world. The meal made for someone who is ill or just generally struggling in life. Phoning someone you know who's going through a tough patch, just to let them know that you are thinking and praying for them. Remember that nothing is small in which God is the source. One grain of salt in a glass of water is noticeable, as is one candle lit in a large room. John Wesley said, The kingdom of God will silently increase wherever it is set up and spread from heart to heart, from house to house, from town to town, from one kingdom 
to another. We are to go out and serve and to live a life that worships God, to change the world as co-workers with Christ. Let us reflect the light in the dark places. For if we don't, darkness. Heavenly Father, we come to you as people of light. Forgive us if we have hidden that light or if the flame is just flickering away but not really shining out of us like you want it to be, Lord. We just ask, Lord, that the Holy Spirit falls upon us now to increase that flame within us so that when we leave here today, Lord, that we will be beacons of light in this world. May many who do not know of you be drawn to that light and know of your saving grace and love and compassion. Help us, Father, as we can't, cannot do this on our own. We need you, but we want to be a co-worker with you, Christ. And we thank you for all those people who have been beacons of light in our own lives. We thank you for them. May we be a blessing to others, Lord, this week. Amen.